Hello, hello. Welcome back to On Connection. Earlier this year, we released an episode focused on credibility, an aspect of leadership and high performance that is, understandably, a common area of interest for anyone looking to grow in their roles and careers, especially at senior levels. How one develops and strengthens their credibility is a worthwhile focus for leaders, so worthwhile that it's the theme that kicks off our flagship leadership development program. In that episode, we shared in detail our perspective on credibility and key principles we invite leaders to dig into that first week of the program. Today, we shift to another high-value developmental focus for leaders, influence. A leader's ability to influence others, the quality and trajectory of work, performance, and results is integral to organizational success and an indicator of the value that leader provides. What things are made better by their contribution? What do they uniquely contribute that people can count on them for? What do you turn to them for? The thing is, we are all influencing all the time, whether we're aware of it or not, which you'll hear us talk about in this episode. Our presence in any given situation has an impact, and becoming conscious of that impact is the first step in truly developing influence as a skill. The Influence Week of our Connected Leader program is very introspective, first getting curious about how we unintentionally and habitually influence, and then learning how to become more reliable for influencing purposefully and valuably, which can help a leader generate meaningful results in any circumstance. Robin and Mickey have been leaders and coaches in that program for many years, and along with the rest of their work with leaders and organizations around the world, they've learned a thing or two about how leaders can harness their unique influence and engage more purposefully with their work and those they collaborate with. They join me for today's conversation to share those essential principles and how influence as a focus for leadership development can impact personal and organizational success. So today we're talking about influence, which we think is such an important focus for leaders that we have it take up a whole week of our flagship leadership development program. So what do you think people are attracted to when we say that we're going to spend time focusing on influence? What to leaders out there is interesting about working on their influence? What do you think they're thinking? Well, I think most of the leaders we work with hold that part of their responsibility is to make a difference in the way other people think and act. And so people are always interested in how do I influence the thinking and action of others? I think it's a natural leadership concern. And I I think one of the things that has it be top of mind for so many leaders that we talk to is that there's a difference between supervision, management, leadership, particularly when it comes to this idea of influence. Because at a supervision level, it is often very task-driven around that what people are thinking and acting, right? So I, I can, at a supervision level, I can give more specific instruction about a, a task I want someone to do. And at a leadership level, I really am trying to alter the direction of people's thought that then informs the action. And I think that that makes for a 
a big leap for an awful lot of people who have moved from supervisors to managers to leaders where they're just trying to um, use more force than maybe is necessary in order to get something to happen. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's right. Some of the moves that people have as they make that is they're trying to do the same thing again in a different situation. Well, I've given very specific instructions. All right. I guess as a manager, I just have to say them to more people. (laughs) And as a leader, I have to say them louder and with more (laughs) conviction. Be more inspiring. Be more charismatic, right? Um, Right. right. Or more convincing in your argument or something. I mean, I, I also think about not just top down influence from a manager, but leaders, especially at that tier. Well, actually, you know, even on a senior executive team or something, how do you influence your peers? How do you influence the course of decision-making? How do you influence um, people to see your side of what seems like conflicting priorities or something like that? And rather than getting stuck in a stalemate or, well, nothing works with them and I don't know what to do. They just won't listen to me or they don't care about my priorities there might actually be an opportunity to look at how you are influencing the situation and how you might influence it differently. You know, Robin, you saying that reminds me of someone from our lengthy past who I admire and remember fondly. So Gary Egan was one of the early senior leaders in the inkjet business in Hewlett Packard. And He told a story about when he first moved from being a supervisor of a portion of a line to be a manager over people supervising some of the inkjet production lines. And that he was in his cubicle and somebody came in there and said, there's a breakdown on line ABC and we don't know what to do and production shut down. And so Gary said he got excited because he knew that line really well, and he got up and he went to the line and saw the supervisor there looking confused, and Gary looked at it, walked up to the line, saw the thing that was wrong, just took care of it, did it himself, turned to the person and say, just in the future, you need to do A, B, C. You know, like he was reinforcing the instruction. And he said, I had this moment where I thought everybody would be grateful I would be in there. And he said, and I looked around. And the supervisor just looked crestfallen. You know, he looked embarrassed. He was apologizing that I had to come there. He he said, and I went back to my desk and I just thought, everything's changed about what people need from me. Mm. He said, I needed to help that person be able to understand the situation enough to be able to diagnose such things for themselves And instead, I diminish the possibility of him as a leader by having to bypass him and then just leave him with an instruction about what a smart person would have done. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So he said it changed me forever, that my job as a leader has now been to leave people in better shape than I found them, not just to tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. Well, Mickey, I think it's really, I love that story. And it's so important in the very could be a very nuanced distinction around what you said we consider influence to be and how I sometimes hear people talk about influence. Right. You said was make a difference in how people think and act. 
But I think how people sometimes translate that in their head is get people get people to do what I want them to do. <laughs> yes, I do. Which think is that not is. what which is not what you said. And I think <laughs> it's a very I just want to call out that I have found too many people will nod their head to the thing you said. But in their head, there's a translation that has it go right so that they do the thing that I want them to do, which is very different. Again, this is that difference between supervision and leadership. And supervision, it probably is get them to do what I want them to do. Mm. Right. right? In leadership, it's having them think about it in a different way that has them take different action and has the folks that they lead take different action, which is much different than walking up to the line and going, do ABC. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of a situation you both know from my lengthy time on the planet. Uh, another uh, old story about when dealing with a breakdown in a business in Texas that then owned a lot of money to the state controller's office. And I went and met with the uh, assistant controller for the state of Texas because the controller was out of town. Because in talking to the people who were supervisors over this particular business situation, they had already said that, no, you can only do ABC, which meant shutting down that business and selling its assets. And that's the only thing that's available to you. So I went and spent this time with the assistant controller and walked through the potential loss of 500 jobs for the state of Texas, ways that we could save those jobs. And in 45 minutes, she had agreed to a course of action that none of the supervisors would approve. And I said, this is remarkable. You're saving a business. You're saving 500 jobs. I'm confident the solution is going to work out. I said, what has you support this? We spent 45 minutes and have solved this. There's been a series of conversations with the supervisors where they said it was impossible. And she said, well, this tells me some work we need to do. Because I know when they don't know what to do, they look at the manual. When I don't know what to do, I look at what's best for the state of Texas. I thought that's a difference between a supervisor and a leader. And so influencing at that level, she was seeing now the need to go out and alter the way people think and act. Like, can you be informed by the manual and not have it take away your ability to lead in the best interest of the people. Mm. You know, so, one of, go oh, ahead. I was gonna say one of the reasons, Emrose, you started this with like, why do we spend a whole week on this? Is that everyone is influencing all the time. And the way I say it is, and we all have our fingerprint, like sort of like our DNA about what that kind of influence looks like. And Mick, you know, you were saying earlier that there's some work to do around, I think we pick up some habits over the course of our life, right? Oh, about what that influence looks like, how we get, I'm making my air quote voice, get people to do something and how that suddenly doesn't serve us in leadership. And so, you know, Mick, you and I have been doing this work together for a decade. It's shocking. I hate saying that. It makes me like, how is that it's longer than that, but go ahead. <laughs> Keep thinking it's a decade. Go ahead. Well, it's a decade officially. We've been known each other longer than that. 
for you, I think, you know, you started a lot of the work around what we the what we have to do to sort of clear out some of the habits first. What had you go to that as like the place to go first with folks when they're working on influence? It's not just working on what you want to do, because I think often people think we're just going to hand them a manual here, say these things, say it this charismatic way, and it's going to move in this direction. What for you had you see that no people actually needed to do some cleaning out the drain first in order for that to or cleaning out the pipe first in order for that influence to flow? Well, when this originally started, you know, our work on influence, it was back when Richard Reinishek and I were working mainly with or in the beginning with police and uh some military units and and you'd see people get into situations where they really desperately wanted to influence how it turned out, you know, where there's people's lives at risk there. And we kept seeing that they were unaware of the way they were impacting the thoughts and actions of people around them, like well-intended, but they couldn't see, for instance, one of the things that Richard talked about in working with detectives is that they started out with a theory of the case and who they think did it, and then went out to try to prove that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they didn't get that the bias that they were carrying had a mood with it, had a level of certainty, had an unavailable unavailability to other information that had them alienate people, had people consider them to be untrustworthy, had, and they didn't even realize it. Their good intention was, I want to find who did it. They didn't realize that they were trapped in a certainty based on, oh, well, you know, in these kinds of cases, it's almost always a family member. (laughs) Or, you know, in these, and they would get stuck in that prefabricated way of thinking. So that's where it started, Robin, is us seeing that people didn't even realize that they had patterns of behavior that were past-based that were actually causing people around them to think and act in ways they don't want. So we actually saw detectives that were alienating the very people they were working with, and the way they were talking to suspects or potential witnesses had them get frightened. You know, y'all have heard us talk before that one of the tests for people trust you is disclosure. They open up and tell you things. And they would be operating a way that got people to shut down (laughs) and just shut up and say, I'm not saying anything further without a lawyer present and all this. So it started there. We just started seeing, okay, here's the good intention. Here's the impact you're having that's nothing like that. What explains it? And so we started out by looking at what are the patterns that people have got that are past-based that they keep bringing to the current situation thoughtlessly. That was one of the things. The other thing is that people were completely unconscious about how the nature of their role was already influencing people before people had any connection with them whatsoever. So I'm going to turn this back over to you, Robin, because today that's the way we talk about the use or misuse of power. Because that really was the second thing. You know, that somebody walks in the room, you know, your title is, let's take it away from police and military, your title is chief operating officer. What is that already influencing in the room? 
before you say a word, before people get your mood, before you ask a question. So you want to step in on that one, Robin, about this unwitting implications of our role that actually starts to influence without us even being conscious of it? Yeah, I think the thing that occurs to me, I was just thinking about, we have a number of clients who are in financial services, as an example, all kinds of financial services. When the chief risk officer or the chief compliance officer walks in the room, <laughs> depending on how they have created the their influence, their influence is to sort of keep the company safe from a, a compliance standpoint. And it may actually lead people to be less willing to say the things in that room because of fear of what's going to happen if they disclose a challenge that they're having. And so right. as leaders, I think part of this is, you know, if we said make a difference in how people think and act, your title makes a difference in how people think and act all the time. It's just that we forget that the, it's it has to do with the title that walks in with you, not just who you are as a human. And I think sometimes people forget that. I forgot that. <laughs> I tell people it all the time. And our uh, head of operations, John Winter, had to remind me not long after CEO was added behind my name, that when I send people the team's message, they may stop what they're in the middle of to answer me. <laughs> so I should be a little more conscious of the interruptions that I cause. I'm not perfect at it, but I try at least to be a little more conscious of now when I call someone. And the reason is I just think of myself as Robin. Right. And I think that that's true for most humans. So like they don't think of themselves, they don't think of themselves as their title. And so those compliance officers, when they walk in, don't think of themselves that way. So they're not, they're just thinking that they're who they were when they left their driveway that day, not who they right. are when they walk in the office. And so well, yeah. in this arena of accidental influence, which is really where we start when we do the deep dive in this is where are you influencing that you're not conscious of and it's producing results that you would rather not produce? When you were just given that story about compliance or risk, it also reminds me of, I mean, as you both know, I've worked a lot individually with CEOs around the world. And one of the things that's remarkable to me that can make a huge difference is when a CEO wakes up to how them having a reaction that when other people have it isn't a big deal, it's a big deal when they have that reaction. So when the CEO looks annoyed and dismissive at a question that comes to him in a meeting, somebody else doing that, people could write off with, oh, they're having a bad day. No, <laughs> the CEO does that. And it has an impact that ripples in that conversation and beyond it afterward and you know, people's careers get affected. So the integrity of power is a big issue in influence. And it starts with, am I conscious of how the position power I have is always influencing thought and action? And it's a, it's a bigger call on consciousness, the bigger your position power. Mm -hmm. And yet we find that people, the more position power they have, the more efficient they think it is because people now have to listen to me. Whoa. <laughs> well, I think there's also a that as you elevate in your 
position, power, influence, um, or visibility in an organization. It's like an amplifier of the things that you already probably do as a human being on a behavioral level. So things that have become just normal and how you interact with other people in the world, or maybe how you learned to operate in an organizational context or in a team or how to engage with leaders or as a leader because of how you were led and developed through your career. And all of those things are so unconscious. So a lot of the people that we end up working with have years and years and years of built up habitual ways of engaging with the world and with um, other people that they don't see because it really is just this normal way of acting for them. And so it's harder to then acknowledge the um, the impact that that has on others. <laughs> if you haven't noticed it all those years and then you're going, oh my gosh, I've been doing that for decades or whatever. But I do think that the there's a combination of factors there that as you elevate and you have even more power, um, it's an amplifying all of those things that you might not have been conscious of before too. I think there's two parts of that. The first is the unwitting part. Um, yeah. The analogy I use frequently is it's like being an alligator or a crocodile and walking through a room with a tail swishing behind you and then turning around and saying, who made that mess? Because <laughs> you're not conscious of the the impact of what is happening as you move through the world. So I think that's one part of it. The other part of it is I think often those behaviors have actually been quite successful in a particular kind of way. So right. I'm working right now with a COO who wants to be a CEO. As COO, he had to come in and do a lot of efficiency and um, rigorous improvement on metrics, and which has made him be very decisive, mm. which is really useful in the COO role. And people are worried about, does he listen well enough to his colleagues as he starts to move to the CEO role? Mm. So I think some of it is also that the those uh, behaviors that you're talking about, there's a place for them. They have, they have had some sort of positive impact for people, either in the role that they were in or in sort of shutting down or getting so getting action that they wanted and is it what it's time for as a leader now becomes part of the question which is you know what is it time for in my leadership and how do i be much more intentional about that and intentional in what i'm doing uh when i'm influencing as opposed to just relying on my habituated ways of influencing right yeah, this, this really fits with and maybe it can be a segue into the next part of this conversation, but it fits with why do we look at what's already happening and how people influence instead of going to hear some new tips and tricks that get people to do what you want, that it's often that especially when something worked in the past and it becomes habituated, that we stop being present about what does this moment call for? What does this new situation call for? So there's a lack of presence, awareness, consciousness that tends to come with a long time being a leader. And that bundle of patterns, when they become unconscious and unwitting, often don't apply to the moment that's in front of you. Mm -hmm. and, and I see it show up a lot of times when we talk to very senior leaders who are frustrated and disappointed about something that they have not been able to influence. Like it's been going on for a long time. And we, 
I'm getting, you know, how come? And as our beloved colleague, Kel Delaney says, you cannot be a part of the solution if you are not willing to see how you are a part of the problem. <laughs> right. So, okay. How long have you been the CEO? About five years. How long have you been frustrated by this behavior that you can't see changing? About five years. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so let's start by saying, in what way have you influenced the perpetuation of this behavior? And mm -hmm. the strongest leaders I know are willing to stop and take a conscious look at that. They are aware that I'm influencing stuff all the time, and I just may not be at this moment aware of how I'm doing that. So let's look at it. Let's stop and look. What's my role? How am I ingredient in the situation that I say I don't like? The leader that are willing to look at that, I will work with on anything. So that first part of this is testing is somebody willing to be consciously examining their own way of impacting the people around them, of influencing the thoughts and actions of people around them. And if they are, that leads to, okay, what new uh, awareness and principles and possible techniques could make a difference. But if you try to add new principles and techniques into an ignorant lack of awareness of what's already happening, <laughs> it actually just produces a different kind of mess. It doesn't make a productive difference. So it's like if you're moving into a new house, which some people I care a lot about are doing that currently, <laughs> Robin, uh, <laughs> and the house has been there for a long time, like over 100 years. There's some things in the pipes that you may want to clean out before you put in your new oven and new hood and all that, and then wonder how come there's a fire later because of the grease that's been there from the last 100 years. So we have to clean out the unwanted grease before we start cooking new stuff in the kitchen. <laughs> or rewire. There's some, or rewire. Got the knob and tube wiring, which can't quite handle the load that we're going to put on it with, with new responsibilities, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so then how do we get people to, how do we invite people into that level of awareness? What are the ways that we do that? Well, well I think... Go ahead. I'm looking at how do we do this, say this briefly, since we spend an entire week on this in person, then a couple months of follow-up. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, where I was going to go with it is, I think if you really want to be influential as a leader, you have to be willing to be influenced. And you have to be able to see how others influence on you. What You know, one of the things, Mickey, you said about we have to be present. Well, we're always present to something. What am I choosing to be present to in my leadership that I actually think will make a difference on how people think and act in a direction that allows us to be, um, have aligned action without supervision? Because I think that's actually what leadership is, right? Is that can the, can people start to take actions in a direction that doesn't require my supervision? Because good golly, at a leadership level, if you've got to be in every conversation, you're not going to be getting a whole lot done on a daily basis. So how is my leadership? How is my voice? How is my thinking in the room when my body isn't? I think that really is where we start to go, Emma Rose, is how do we think about what's my unique way 
for all of us? What's the thing that I'm really great at? And how do I sort of take a stand for that and then listen to others and let them influence me in those moments? Yeah, I think that the idea of where's your attention is the answer to that's what changes. So we first want people to see where's your attention given your historical stuck patterns and your lack of awareness of how you're impacting people right now. When those come together, what does it give you that you have your attention on? And I really love what Richard McDonald said about that where a leader puts her or his attention is a moral act. You could say it's an ethical act. It's a deep communication about, oh, this is what matters around here. And we first have to have people become conscious of where their attention is going. Because if they're not conscious of it, they can't compare that to what they really want. And a lot of really honorable leaders wake up to that and go, wait a minute. No wonder I've been perpetuating something I don't want. Or no wonder I'm getting that behavior. You know, a lot of CEOs say that it feels lonely and one of their biggest concerns is I'm not hearing the truth. Okay, well, who am I being and what's my attention on that actually contributes to that being true? So that's the segue then, Robin, it is the elegant way to say it. What changes and what your attention's on? And we say that one of the things that's fundamental that changes is the answer to this question. What is your unique way as a human being of contributing to others? So we want this to move from how do I get them to do what I want to how do I contribute to the success of other human beings? I am. Um, I was saying before we started, I was reading an interview uh, yesterday. It was titled The Art of Conducting with a British conductor, James Lowe. We'll put it in the show notes. Um so much about leadership uh, inside of this, but there was one particular uh, paragraph that I thought was really interesting where he talked about one of his uh, early heroes that he and mentors that he learned from, um, Bernard Heitnick, I apologize if I'm probably saying that wrong, um, said that he couldn't influence a musician until they had influenced him. Conducting is always a dialogue. You offer something, the orchestra responds in a certain way, and then hearing them, you tailor what you do to direct and encourage the sound. And I think there's something about that regarding leadership, right? Around the too often in our unintentional influence, we just keep doubling down on doing the same thing as opposed to let me be influenced by what is a team saying they need? What does a team see as the direction? And then how do I, as a leader, actually help to harness that energy towards whatever the goal is that we want to have? He goes on to say, our job, the conductors, is to be very finely tuned to the music once it is in motion and to help it go where it wants to go. And again, I think that that feels like a definition of leadership in a way around how do you act? Because most things are already in motion. So how do I use my natural gifts as a leader to actually help move in a particular direction? And that when I'm unintentional about it, I, I actually am stifling that direction and I don't see it. Mm-hmm. So mine, right? Like just to make it practical, mine, I get sort of a, a a form of annoyance that sort of shuts everything down from having the possibilities emerge. And when I am really intentional, possibilities is what I open up. So for me, being able to see that like my annoyance in the moment is actually 
really in hampering our ability to see new options is critical for me and being able to make that shift to be able to see like, where do things feel stuck? That's how it feels in my body. If something feels stuck. Well, if I turn towards an annoyance, which my whole family will tell you is fairly adept at like sort of getting them to go do a thing. Uh, but it doesn't create new possibilities for what, how we might do that thing. Mm -hmm. You know, this, if you just look at this duality between on the downside, it's uh, irresponsible domination and manipulation in order to get people to do what I want. I'm calling it irresponsible as in I'm unaware of, I don't even see the impact I'm having that I'm not conscious of. So that that's one. And the shift, and I think that's beautiful, the images you gave from being a conductor, is to, you're going from domination and manipulation to contribution to our shared success. That's a very different spirit from manipulating you to do what I want to contributing to your and our mutual success. And it goes back to what you said about what do we want to highlight that we do with people. One of the most important things is for people to really explore who am I when I put aside, let's say I was not the victim of all these past-based habits and this unconscious bias. What's left of who I am? Because <laughs> then they start to explore what is it uniquely they've got to give. And there are questions that those of you listening, be interesting to explore like, what are you good at? that actually contributes to other people that no one ever taught you. It walks in with who you are. That's an interesting question to explore. Also, people, especially in positions of power, asking the people around them, including the ones that report to them, for you, what's important for me to contribute? What do you want to make sure I keep doing? And what contribution from me you still want that I'm not doing. Really exploring what is my unique, natural way of making a beneficial difference for other people. It starts to reveal ways of influencing. For instance, Robin, okay, let's say you're getting really good at catching the annoyance. So good, you you see it coming. <laughs> And you're able to stop it before it starts getting on people. Who are you naturally that's able to emerge? You've seen the annoyance, taken a breath, parked that. Now, who's there? Uh, if you're genuinely asking me. I, I am genuinely the, asking. I think it is the person who can see some of the themes that are arising in the conversation. So sees can connect some of the dots and can have a courageous, bold action that we might be able to take in the face of it. So you have people see the situation more clearly by connecting the different elements of it in a way where they can actually understand the design of the situation we're in. And from there, helping people create new possibilities that help deal with whatever that situation is. So we know you're great at connecting the dots 
in having people move from resignation and despair <laughs> to a mood of possibility and new action. All right. So what we do with people is then deeply explore, well, how do you do that? What is that like? So the two challenges are, can you catch that annoyed person <laughs> before she is impacting things in a way you don't want? And then really explore, who am I as a dot connector and possibility revealer that leaves people in hopeful new action? You know, that's... And so that exploration, Emrose, as you know, that's where we go with people. Because then you deep dive into what are the things I do? How do I think that actually cause the dots to be revealed, <laughs> the patterns to be understood, and possibilities to emerge? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that are really key distinctions that people get familiar with over the course of doing this work for themselves. But so who am I when I'm defensive, upset, annoyed, um, frustrated when I'm feeling hurt or unheard or all those things versus when, who am I, when I am leaning in and I'm feeling really appreciated and like I can contribute fully and I'm making a difference. Who am I, when I'm disconnecting from other people, pulling away from connection and who am I, when I'm leaning into it, who am I, when I'm really feeling in tune with others um, and being able to start noticing those patterns in your life is really, really powerful. It's also challenging. I think that's one of the really amazing things about getting to do it in a group, like in this program, obviously you can do it through coaching and you can do a lot of this reflection for yourself, but having partners in it, having other people that are also doing it so that you can really learn. We all do this, every single human being. It is not a deficiency on anybody's part that they have things to learn and notice about themselves. It's just part of being a human being. So getting to see other people do it, I think helps you get into that acceptance that it's true. <laughs> acceptance that then gives you access to noticing even more and then access to catching yourself and being able to more purposefully show up in a given moment and influence things in a way that we think causes a lot more connection and results and a lot less resistance and distress. Mars, I think you just yep. said a really important thing in that, which is that <clears throat> in our unintentional influence, we are often disconnecting from people. And I, I don't think we always as individuals notice that disconnection. Mm -hmm. So we don't notice the impact that we're having or how it makes other people feel that has them want to disconnect from us. So I think that doing it in community helps us to really develop that awareness and then the second part is having some grace with yourself and others in that process, because that disconnection is data. Mm -hmm. It is data and information that there is something that matters. There's something important. There's something that you are trying to influence in that moment that it's up for you and just getting reconnected to having some grace in those moments. So for myself, getting, having a little grace for myself about being annoyed, because by the way, most of the time I'm actually annoyed with myself. Others feel like I'm annoyed with them, mm. but having some grace for myself that whatever I'm trying to get done, I'm annoyed that like, what, why can't I get this point across? Why is this feeling so hard? What am I doing wrong? Doesn't actually help. 
right? So the thing of like, what am I doing wrong is not actually helpful. It just has me double down on my own annoyance. So how do you be graceful in those moments and say like, yep, that's part of being human. And there's a different choice to make here that I know will be more effective, right? And so moving from that, okay, that didn't, that didn't work. (laughs) What else might, what's the conversation that we need to have now? Right. Given that we normally work with people in very deep ways with extended time, I just want to look at what I want to say in closing of this conversation today. Mm -hmm. And you just hit for me, Robin, that one of the most important ingredients of appreciating a new level of influence that beneficially changes the way people think and act, it comes with humility. There's an inquiry that goes into it that gets more and more challenging for people the bigger their position power and the longer they've been a successful leader. Because it seems like I'm supposed to already know and I don't need your input. But the people I see do this the best really get into an inquiry where they invite other people into with them. But how do I make a beneficial difference from your perspective? What's my, what are the things that I do or say that you think help us think and act in more beneficial ways? And really go after that. Now, it's also, you want to go after the integrity of, and how might I impact the way we think and act that you don't think is so great? Well, somebody who's got real position power, when they first ask those kind of questions of people with less power, they'll get dead silence. <laughs> And what you have to do is stay there curiously and quietly until someone talks. And the first person who's willing to answer that question, you learn from in that moment. And you admire and honor their input. And then it unlocks it from other people. And then we are resuscitating our own awareness of the best way we influence the thinking and action of other human beings. And what My version then is of catching the annoyance Robin was talking about Mm -hmm. so that I don't accidentally stop the thing I could be really, really great at contributing. Beautiful. Well, we could talk about this for a whole week or even longer than that. So I'm sure this won't be the last conversation that we have about influence. It's a very core pillar of our work and our perspective on leadership. Um, But until that time, we will bid you adieu for the moment. Um, And we will talk about impact in our next episode, focusing on these different pillars of leadership. So we'll talk to you then. Thank you so much. All right. Bye for now. This episode was produced by Guy Connolly. Original artwork is by Dana Buckingham and music is by a cast of characters. Special thanks to Conversant's extended community who inspire the continued evolution of our work and stand with us in our commitment to change leadership, business, and the world through conversation. You can learn more about Conversant at www.conversant.com. On Connection is created and produced by the members of Conversant. Awakening the world to the power and joy of authentic human connection, we set a new standard for leadership that produces meaningful, enduring impact. Until next time.